0: Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel, and Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty-two years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn. And set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Zagub, According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun.
1: Uh, Dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to be together uh, here this morning. We thank you for giving us the sunshine. Uh, We thank you for giving us Jesus Christ, your son. Uh, who has is, who is risen, ruling, and who will be returning. Uh, we thank you for this moment, to, for, y- for you uh, to, to, to speak to us through your word. Please guard my mouth. Uh, please open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to what is truth. And please change us from the inside out by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I wonder if you've ever felt like Something is too far gone. I wonder if you've ever felt like something is too far gone. Um, if, you, uh, if you know where I live, uh, we, I live in like a body corporate set of townhouses and there's this shared nature strip out the front and um, there wasn't much work that was put into that na- nature strip. It's full of weeds, there's not that much grass, there's plenty of dirt patches. And when I look at that nature strip and I think, maybe I could change that, I very quickly soon change tact and I go, you know what? It's too far gone. It's too far gone. Um, In my previous uh, work life as a physiotherapist, I often um, would have to have a conversation with some of my um, more uh, rotund clients that were built to last, um, and I'd talk to them about their knee and ankle and hip health, and I'd say, hey, look, you know what, Um, there's a lot of pressure on your knees. Uh, Perhaps there could be 20 kilos of less pressure on your knees. And uh, often they would say to me, oh yeah, look, Louis, I appreciate the advice, but you know my health, my body, too far gone. It's too far gone. <laughs> maybe you've had a relationship. Uh, maybe this, you know, th- things have been going well, but then things fall over, things don't go so well, uh, and then uh, there's, there's separation, and then there's turmoil, and there's trial, and maybe you found yourself in those moments going, you know what? It's too far gone. Or what about about your soul? What about your standing before God? What about the way that God views you in the life that you've lived and the things that you've done and, and the conviction that you feel? I wonder how you feel as you stand before God. I wonder if perhaps you've thought, you know what, too far gone. Well, today we're thinking about a man, a man named Ahab, who from all accounts, you would say, he is too far gone. Too far gone. But it's really important that we consider this man Ahab today, because Because as we look at this man, Ahab, a man who has done very little that is good, and a man who is pretty much only characterized by bad, it's a man whose story we want to consider because whoever you are, and whatever you think you've done, good or bad, there's a lesson that we can learn today from this man, Ahab. And it's a lesson that, it's a lesson that if we take the whole story as one big package in the way that he works at God, the way that God works in his life, it's a story that if you ever feel like something is too far gone, a story that will give you hope. story that will give you hope. So we're going to dig into this story uh, with three brief headings. We're going to think about Ahab and us. Ahab and us. We're going to think about Ahab and God. And then we're going to think about God and us. Ahab and us. Ahab and God and God and us. Let's have a look at Ahab and us. Just to bring you up to speed, we're in a series now in the in the book of one and two kings. We're looking at the kings of Israel. We're looking at this, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And now we're at this point where we're looking at King Ahab. Uh, king Ahab is a little bit further along down the line, after King Solomon, after the kingdom has been divided, we've got Israel and Judah, and Ahab was not a good guy. Not a good king. Have a listen to how history describes Ahab. First up, let's look at his family tree. Ahab's dad, so the former king before King Ahab, was a guy named Omri. Uh, parents, if you're expect- if there's anyone expecting Omri, probably wouldn't go there. Um, and then when you hear what he did, definitely don't go there. This is what 1 Kings 16 says about Omri's legacy. Verse 25, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil, more evil, than all who were before him. Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his place. Now, just is Ahab off to a good start? <laughs> no. His family tree is already dead, rotten to the core. His dad is famous. Famous for what? Doing more evil than all the kings before him. Now, we get to Ahab, do we see him change his generational legacy? No. No, the first description we get from Ahab after meeting Ahab is this, verse 30. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, how's this, more Than all who were born for him. (laughs) So it's like, Dad, I see how much evil you did. I'm gonna take that evil and raise you more evil. (laughs) First act as king for King Ahab was his first act was, I'm gonna go get me a wife. All right, and he marries this lovely, not so lovely lass, Jezebel. Okay, that's not good. Well, you know the history of God's people, that's not good. She was a Sidonian generationally linked to the Canaanites, they were known for being a wicked, idolatrous, cursed generation. Not the type of family you wanna marry into. Not the type of mother-in-law you wanna go meet or have. Ahab's not doing well. Not a good first move there, Ahab. Not a good first move. (laughs) Marrying into the family that historically, your people has been fighting with. You're supposed to be leading your people. Not like putting him into the battleground, not causing more awkward family dinners. But if that wasn't bad enough, verse 31 tells us what Ahab did after taking Jezebel as his wife. He took Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped, worshipped Baal. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal in which he built in Samaria, and Ahab, and Ahab also built an Asherah. A nice little narrator's note here. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings who were before him. So, just to bring us up to speed, just to give us a little bit of context, uh, worshiping Baal. Baal. I don't know. I won't get it right. That is not something that you want on your resume when you're going in to be like king of Israel, right? Worship of Baal is deviant acts of the body. Worshipping Baal means self-mutilation in order to call down this God's favour. Worshipping Baal meant that if you really wanted blessing, take your child and put them on the altar. What about the Asherah? The Asherah. Well, that as well. Just, 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 you know, if Baal wasn't enough, let's just put up an Asherah. That is a wooden cult object. It is a monument to the godless goddess often thought to be both Baal's mother and mitra, mistress. Asherah, in those days, was the goddess of fisi- fisi- Fertility. Fertility. So you can—it's very easy to speculate what sort of ritual worship practices the people were involved in to to get her good fortune. Hey, yeah, how you going? Uh, Yeah, my name's Ahab. Yep, I'm famous. I'm famous. Up to this point in history, uh, I've done uh, more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings who were before me. If there was someone who you were to say was too far gone in terms of their stance before God, it's Ahab. It's Ahab. (laughs) Now I wonder, what does considering the character of Ahab do in your heart? What does considering the character of Ahab do in your heart? Do you feel repulsed? You should. The acts of Ahab were an absolute abomination. If there was a leader in our country today that did what Ahab did, you know, we'd have more than just protests in Melbourne. You'd have more than just people from Victoria moving to Queensland. Or maybe rather than being repulsed, maybe maybe you feel confused. Maybe you feel confused as you understand this little bit of history of God's people. Maybe you're asking, why would God allow this? Why would God allow such Evil leadership. Doesn't he care? Isn't God meant to be good? Doesn't God care? Yes, he cares. He cares about his people. He also cares a lot about his glory and his reputation. But as we look at this story, perhaps we get to see that God actually is allowing his people to hit rock bottom to help the people realise that maybe their way of life isn't so clever. Perhaps through this evil king, God is teaching his people that what they thought, what they think wasn't going to be the best actually isn't going to be the best. Perhaps God is, is teaching his people, perhaps God is teaching us today that when you look at the plans for our life, that when, you, when we try to make our plans start with us and not start with God, things don't go well. Because this is how we got here, wasn't it? God's people wanting a king. They wanted their own king, didn't they? And then God says, all right, see how that goes for you. Let's see how that goes for you. Me? Oh, you know. God can handle the evil. God can handle what people think about him while he's while, you know, while he stays silent. He's big enough for that. But maybe I just give you exactly what you want and I'll ask the question, how are your plans working out for you, oh little creation? It's almost as if God allows this evil to teach us and to teach his people at that time in history a lesson. That is, when their desire is contrary to God's design, it won't go well. When your desire is contrary to God's design, it will not go well for you. Maybe you feel repulsed. And have. maybe you're confused. Or maybe, this is the subtle one. Maybe you feel reassured. Maybe you feel reassured. Maybe maybe as you think about the deplorable deeds of this deviant ruler, you begin to think, well, thank God I'm not as bad as him. Maybe you begin to think, well, isn't it great that I've never done those sorts of things? My heart is, it's not as black as I thought. Can I tell you the truth? Reading about Ahab's sin, it shouldn't cause us to be reassured about our own. Yes, Ahab has done more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings who were before him, but his outward deeds are not for us to feel better about our own hearts. We're back to Harley jokes (laughs) when we talk about sin. No, we're not going to do it. (laughs) I think this account of Ahab's life, it's here for us to read and to know that his outward acts are, in fact, a visible illustration and a picture of what inwardly is in us all. You see, I, I don't think it's just me. But I tell you, when I read about what Ahab did... And if I take the time, if I take the time to honestly, genuinely self reflect, I see that this repulsive behavior that's in Ahab, you know what? It's in us all. It's in us all. We're just really good at masking it and making it look more acceptable in the world's eyes. I'm thankful that no. I'm thankful that, thanks be to God, I've never gone to the extent of setting up a monument of idol worship in rebellion to God. I haven't done that. But I know that in my life, there's been times, to I've, that I, there've been times where I've sought to devote myself to a certain lifestyle that I thought would bring me joy, apart from the joy that I can only have by being devoted to Jesus. And you know what? Thanks be to God that I've never had to self-mutilate my body in order to call down the favor of God upon my life. Thanks be to God for that. But I know that in my life I've I've been willing to suffer bodily pain of say exercise and diet to call upon the favor of human acceptance rather than resting in God's gifts of activity and ultimately his acceptance. And no, thanks be to God, I have never put any of my children on an altar in order to get that extra blessing and happiness that I think I need. But to my shame, I know that in my life, I have been willing to sacrifice meaningful time and meaningful energy at the cost of my family so that I might get the respect, that I, or the income, or the image that I thought that I that I thought I needed. You know what's worse in that as well? You know what's even worse is, is even after I've done that and I've realised that I've done that, I've then gone and made a God switch. I've then gone and instead of correctly uh, correcting my misapplied worship, I've actually sought to justify it by now appeasing my dismissiveness and my absence with my family by treating them like another God-like figure that needs a sacrifice in order to please and appease them. Have you done this before? You know what I'm talking about? You know the the random act of of just like throwing money or gifts or that little bit of extra, you know, trite bit of time to make them, you know, make yourself feel better for the times that you've pushed them aside or pushed aside what God has been calling you to do in the lives of others? Ironically, again... It's just another way that we're trying to pay off another little deity so that we can feel better about us now doing our thing rather than being someone that is seeking to first honour God. So I need not look far in my own heart to see that I'm not that different to Ahab. What about you? What if you too also consider with me how we really compare to Ahab? I think we'd find that we're all not that much different. In fact, deep down, we are far more broken and stained than we give ourselves credit for. And the truth of the other is the truth of this world. It's the truth that the Bible teaches us. God teaches us through his word, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one that does good. All have turned turned away. So as we look at Ahab's life and we look at our lives, you know what? It's pretty quick to think, you know, too far gone. Too far gone. So how then does God deal with Ahab? How may God deal with us? Well, let's have a look at Ahab and God. Well, if we skip nearly to the end of the story of Ahab, and this is after um, already Ahab's continued to screw up, we get to this last little moment where Ahab has just committed some serious deception and evil under under the influence and partnership of his wife Jezebel. And it's now, it's now God steps in and enters the ring. And what happens? God confronts Ahab through one of his prophets, Elijah. Chapter 21, the prophet Elijah, he comes to Ahab and Elijah calls him out. He starts with the classic pay attention line, thus says the Lord. He says, Ahab, mate, you're not getting away with anything. God has seen your sin. God has been here the whole time. God has seen your actions, worse, He's seen your heart. Ahab, you've been jealous, you've been deceiving, you've been scheming, you've been lying, you've been stealing and you've been killing. And now because of all of this, you will die. And your wife too. And I will bring disaster on you and your generation. That's the message that God has for Ahab through the prophet Elijah. So as it turns out, God has not been absent. As it turns out, God has not been ignorant. God has seen, God knows, and now for Ahab, he has stepped in and he has given his pronouncement of judgment and forthcoming justice. God, through Elijah, confronts Ahab and tells him what's coming in response to his, rep- in response to his re- repulsive rebellion. <laughs> now, we might be tempted to think, God, he doesn't do that anymore. God is a big, cuddly, old man sitting on a cloud wearing white. He's not angry like that anymore. He's not going to do that anymore. We, he, he's part of a civilised, polished, shiny society. God's tolerant. He's politically correct. He moves with the modern day times. God's up there saying, you be you. Oh, I'm cool with that. You be you. If you think that, you'd be wrong. For what Ahab experiences here with God sending a prophet, the prophet Elijah, to warn of his impending judgment, God has in fact given us, you and me, the exact same experience. And maybe today is the first time. The only difference is the prophet who gives the warning, his name isn't Elijah, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. For you see, God has seen, God knows, and he has also stepped in. He has given his pronouncement of judgment and forthcoming justice through Jesus. Jesus Christ, when He began His public preaching ministry, He began with confronting us and speaking to us and the words being recorded in God's Word for us. And knowing we're all just like Ahab, Jesus starts His ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, turn from your ways. The kingdom of God is coming, the King is coming. He's going to clean out. All the bad, he's going to bring in all the good. Jesus came declaring, he said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Why does the world need saving? Because the one who rejects me and who does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. We're about to celebrate Christmas. Jesus who was born, Jesus who comes to make all things new. The story of Jesus entering in, that includes a warning that if you don't recognise who you are before God, he won't recognise you when you're dead and then standing before God. How will you respond? How can you respond? Well, let's look at Ahab. Look at how Ahab responds to the confrontation of his disobedience and ignorance towards God. Verse 27 of chapter 21. And when Ahab heard those words, the message from the prophet, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth onto his flesh and he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. What does Ahab do? or in tearing his clothes, putting on sackcloth, not eating, going about miserably, Ahab finally understands all that he's done. He finally understands the man that he's been before the one true most high holy God. And he is properly, properly cut to the heart because of the corruption that has been revealed to him that is in him. And Ahab responds to the warning. He responds to the warning. He has a moment of God-given <clears throat> clarity, and it comes to him in a tidal weight of conviction and personal humility. The message from the prophet resonates in his heart, and it moves him to repentance. Repentance. And how does God respond to Ahab's Repentance. How does God respond to Ahab's humbling himself? Is Ahab too gone? Too far gone? Is his, fate, is his fate sealed? Look at verse 28. God speaks again to Elijah after sending him to Ahab. The word, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, tish saying, Have you seen? Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his days. What do we see here? God shows grace to Ahab. God, because he is slow to anger, And abounding in steadfast love. God, because He has made promises to His people that if they humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and turn to Him, He will relent. God shows mercy. God shows forgiveness. God shows kindness. God shows the type of God that He is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's also beautifully, perfectly just because God just doesn't sweep his anger under the carpet. Because notice here, Ahab's forgiveness, it's not free. It still comes at a great cost. It says, the end of verse 29, I will not bring disaster in his days, next line, but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. God's grace is not cheap, it's not free, it's not easy. The payment for Ahab's sin still had to be paid. And in Ahab's case, it comes at the cost of delayed disaster, not on him but on his son. One life for another, one to die in the place for another. This was the case with Ahab and God. I wonder if this sounds familiar for God and you. Because the difference for us today is that instead of one of our sons dying after us, God shows his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness that while we were still sinners, he loved us. That while we were still weak, he sent his son to die not after, but before us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? eternal life. Yes, we are just like Ahab. But in the words of preacher Tim Keller, the good news of the Gospel is this. We are more sinned and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we'd ever dared hope. Was Ahab too far gone from all perspective? Yes, yes. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. Ahab, after encountering the message of judgment from the Most High God, he responds in genuine repentance and humility. God grants him peace. God grants him peace. And for all of us today, are we all too far gone? From a human perspective, we're stuffed. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. Do you know that today, if after encountering the message of judgment from the Most High God, revealed to you by His Spirit, spoken through Jesus Christ, His Son, you can respond in repentance and humility. You can respond in that way. That today, if you hear the warning from God that comes through Jesus, and if that resonates in your heart to the level of active repentance and faith within you, God will grant you peace. God can give you a fresh start at life. God will let you begin a new life with Him. Church today, you can know that you are not too far gone. You can hear and respond to the words of Jesus. You can accept His rescue, receive His love, Look to him and trust in his death on your behalf and you can start a lifetime of change with him that will end in a lifetime of unexplained joy and peace in eternity. So as we close today, I just want to anticipate what could be the three main responses to what we've heard. Maybe you're here today and you know the rescue and renewal of Jesus in yourself. Maybe you know that. Maybe you say, "Yes, I've responded to that." But you want more. You want more of God's power and joy at work in your life, as you want to keep rooting out the blackness of your own heart. If that's you, we're going to have some. We're going to have some music playing, and we're going to have time. We're going to have time to once again repent and believe before God and get ourselves off, get our eyes off ourselves and back, of, back on God to praise him, thank him, pray to him and adore him for who he is and what he's done. Martin Luther said the Christian life is one of daily repentance. And we can do that again today. Or maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? In the past, I've known of the rescue of Jesus but my life has not been one in keeping, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Maybe you can honestly say that from all perspectives, your private and your public life, they don't represent the king that you say that you follow. If that's you, I would love to invite you today to pray, to let that, what is resonating in your heart, actually move move you to your feet and to your mouth and to your heart ask God today to rewire your heart and your mind so that today can become another hard reset. Back to Him, to the one that you know you desperately need. You can take time to pray on your own. We're also going to have a couple of people that will be willing to pray for you. I know these guys, they're committed prayers in our church. We'll have Johan and Caroline off to the side. You just need to go up to them and just say, look, pray for me, pray for me. They'll know what to say. Lastly, maybe you're here today and, the, and you know, you know the message of Jesus has only ever resonated, but hey, it's never actually led to repentance. Maybe it's something that you've heard, but you've quickly brushed off. Maybe it's something that's bounced around in your life that you've never actually taken down deep into your heart. If that's you, and today you feel God's spirit having cut open your heart and you need to move and do something with that, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. As we opened our service today, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you have never done that, today can be the day. Start a new life with Jesus, repent and believe. Have faith in the one who is the son of the most high God who comes to rescue you, renew you, to save you and to call you home to a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So church, I'm going to pray now and then we're going to have some time for each of us individually to just come before God in our own time and respond to what we've heard. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us that shows us that none of us are too far gone, that in fact, you're a God that desires that no one should perish, but all should come to you in repentance and faith. Father, we thank you for your mercy, your slowness to anger and your abounding and steadfast love to put before us the words of eternal life and to point to us the Son, your Son, who gives us that through his sacrificial death on the cross. Father, for all those that have been cut to the heart this day, the need to come before you afresh and to ask for your forgiveness, Father, help them, lead them in that. And would they know that peace that transcends understanding in being able to call you their Heavenly Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.